Hello, and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm Scott Livingston, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with two of my favorite people, Carrie Campbell and Brian Grasso. Their story is exceptional and inspiring. In 2009, Carrie owned a home in Montreal, a city where French is the official language. She had two kids from a previous marriage and a job that prevented her from moving. Brian lived, lived 17 hours away in Chicago, still had 10 months left to pay in his apartment, didn't speak a word of French, and was living a bachelor's life with a thriving personal business. But on February 27th of that year, Brian packed a small bag of clothing, jumped in his car and drove to Montreal. You see, nothing that you really want in life will ever be convenient. You will have doubts, fear and spend time second guessing your choice. You won't ever know how it will end, if it will work or when all the factors against you will either fall in your favor or blow up in your face. But those are silly reasons to give up or give in. You can't spend your life worrying about an outcome that you won't know until you get on the road to giving it a shot. And you shouldn't let how ever become more important than why. So they fell in love. That was the reason they did, needed to reach for the stars. Since then, they have created a thriving life and business, inclusive, inclusive of their amazing kids that endeavors to help anyone who cares to reach higher eliminate their own limits. They helped me eliminate mine, and I am grateful I met them both. I am honored to have them on my show today. Welcome, Brian and Carrie. Boom. That awesome. Hi. That, that you make us sound so cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, your, it's your words, my friend, but uh, I, I reconfigured them so that it would fit my introduction. The reconfiguration is what made it sound so good. I'm telling you, man, that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> A little icebreaker question. Brian, what was the make of car you drove from Chicago to Montreal that day? What were you driving? Toyota Yaris, a two-door. A two-door Yaris. Yeah, so I could I could have picked it up if I wanted to and carried it to Montreal. It was that light. <laughs> and I don't advise anybody drive 17 hours of highway from the Midwest of the United States to uh, French Canada in January or February when there's blizzards <laughs> and snow and ice. I don't advise it. It was not an easy trip. <laughs> did you or did you not have snow tires? No. <laughs> nope, I did not. No, it's true. And I, 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 I honestly, I, it's a horrible, what a horrible, horrible, it's true though. I did not have snow tires. I actually had to talk. I, I took my car into the mechanic the day before I left. And I told him I, I needed a tune up because I was driving to Montreal, Canada, which is about 17 hours the next day. So he said, no problem. And, you know, I, I left my car there for a couple hours and I came back and he said to me, he goes, are you seriously driving 17 hours tomorrow? And I said, yeah, why? Is there something wrong with the car? He goes, no, I, the tune-up is done. It's fine. Your car is fine. He goes, I may not let you leave if you don't change these tires. <laughs> and I, I had to talk him into it because he felt almost liable allowing me to drive 17 hours in February through the snow, knowing that my tires were, A, not winter tires, and B, they were kind of old and beaten up anyways but i made it whatever it's good <laughs> he My only dad. told me after he got here by the way <laughs> what, <laughs> what was when you saw him at the front door what was your feeling oh wow what a great question you're so good at this scott um you know i i just you know it was just it was home it was just what was meant to be right it's you know i think some people would have expected it to be like this like over exuberance of excitement and all the anticipation had come to an end, but it really was just like, it was comfort. It was, it was what was supposed to be. So I was happy he was there safe and sound mm -hmm. and uh, that I didn't lose him before he got here by some tragic car accident. Cause he was driving with 
bald summer tires in a winter storm. In a Yaris. <laughs> well, so, so it's interesting you say that, Carrie, because some people would look at that moment as very pressure oriented in the sense that somebody that you you knew and had fallen in love with had made a decision that they were going to come and plant themselves in your world. And you had two little kids and sort of there's an expectation that comes with that. And I know you guys now looking back, your your mindset obviously is something that you've worked on and crafted for a long time. But at that moment, it probably wasn't as strong or anywhere near as strong as it is now. So mm-hmm. You know, how did you not feel a sense of, oh, my God, like this guy's <laughs> this guy's left everything to come here and park himself in my apartment with my two little kids? That's a great question. You know, I think one of you know, I always uh, kind of make the joke that our relationship was built through telephone and message communication, but it really was. Mm-hmm. Um, Ryan was in Chicago and I was here, which meant the only mode of building a relationship we had was to talk. Right. Whereas, you know, if you build a relationship and you're in the same physical proximity as, as each other, you know, you go to a movie, there's no talking. You, you know, you spend time doing things together where there's not the same level of communication necessarily. All we had was talking. That's, that's like literally all we had. So we spent so much time prior to Brian moving in, just talking and communicating and, you know, sharing our fears and talking about our expectations and, you know, so I think maybe that's the reason that like by the time he got there, it was just like, okay, well, yeah, this is, this is right. This is it. This is what it's supposed to be because we had talked through all that stuff mm-hmm. uh, prior to him moving, you know, about, you know, stepping into a family, becoming a, a, a co-parent with me, my fears, his fears about that. Um, we kind of really set that foundation before he arrived in Montreal. That's amazing. Brian, I want you to think for a second and say the woman you fell in love with and you drove to Montreal, how has she changed in the last X number of years? What, what, tell me who she was then and who she is now for you. You know, that, that doesn't require think, to be honest. It's, it's almost, it's so apparent for me. So, you know, a lot of what we teach um, uh, rotates, Scotty around um, understanding our true selves, that, that a, as a person, as people, we can go through our entire lives being the image of what our experiences and our influences have, have uh, forced us in many ways to become, to date, as opposed to knowing our true selves. And the biggest evolution I've seen in Carrie in the last uh, nearing nine years now mm-hmm. is she's no longer a people pleaser. And that is the biggest difference. Uh, she was always nurturing. Uh, she was always uh, beautiful. She was always the most intelligent, one of the most intelligent people I'd ever met in my entire life. She was always uh, the rock for me and for anybody else who she loved who needed help. Very little has changed about that formative reality uh, of who Carrie is, but Carrie didn't know she was a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. And that is something, even in her own mindset work, that she has. Um, vanquished beautifully uh over the past decade and it was it was so thick scotty that i mean that back then i would say to her because i i was i was the cook in the house mm-hmm. i'd say what do you want for dinner chicken or fish and she would cry I, and like tears she would bubble up with tears and i could never relate to that and so i'd say like what like i don't like chicken or fish like i'm not even sure why they're stressed let alone tears but for a people pleaser, and this is something I didn't know because I've never been one, 
Gary can't answer that question nine years ago because she is factoring in a thousand different parts that would culminate to the answer, most of which were, well, what does he want, chicken or fish? And what if I say chicken, but he wanted fish, then I feel guilty. Mm. Uh, what do the kids want? They're, they want What they want is more important than I want. So as a people pleaser, those thoughts would factor in and it would lead to stress and tears. Mm. And that is now gone. And that is mm. the biggest, by far, the biggest change or evolution I've seen. That's awesome. Would and you agree with that? Here? Good answer. Thank you. Carrie Bear, <laughs> how would you uh, answer the same question for the man beside you? You know, you know what I love about you, Scotty? You've got the best questions on the planet. Like, <laughs> honestly, not just in this, but like I'm even thinking about, you know, over conversation in general. You always ask great questions. Um, you know, I was thinking about that because I had a feeling it was going to come my way. And, um, <laughs> you know, it, obviously without the backstory on all of this, you know, for some people, maybe it, you know, is going to lack the perspective. But... Um, you know, Brian and I both had our, our, you know, our respective journeys to before we came into a relationship together. And, you know, we had a lot of our, of our own limits that were still present when we got into a relationship together. And I would say the greatest change that I've seen Brian go through is um, from a man who, um, no, let me rephrase that. He allowed himself to be loved. He allowed himself to feel love and be loved and completely trust in, in myself and in the kids and in allowing himself to be loved. I think he catalyzed a greater love of, of himself and a trust of himself. So mm. that's what I would say from nine years ago till now. I would agree with that. I love that. Well, I know for the listeners, like you said, maybe they don't have necessarily a, a certain level of perspective on the two of you. Um, I've experienced uh, the work that you guys do and helping people eliminate their limits or see what they don't see about themselves. And uh, I think you're doing amazing work. And and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to sit and chat with you today and, and love chatting with you in general in life. Um, when you sort of answer those questions, in a sense, um, if you look at other people that you've worked with over the years, what are the big rock limiters that most people, like, I know you can't generalize completely, but for the listeners, what are some of the big rock limiters that most people put in the way of, of really seeing who they are or being who they can be? Do you want to say that one? Or yeah, I so, so like, like there's, there's a lot of passive and there's a lot of active on that. Okay. So if I were to talk about the active things that people actually put in their way, um, delusion would be up there as, as a primary. Um, very often the people we work with, they know the score. They know the score better uh, than they pretend they know the score. Uh, and I think that, but having said that, we don't subscribe to the idea that a lot of their coaches do about referring to people as lazy or lacking willpower or lacking discipline. Um, delusion is, is self-preservation. People delude themselves because they are afraid, because they are in pain, because they don't always want to see the truth. So on an active level, we tend to be very delusional about our circumstances and our situation. And that is something we do uh, consciously, believe it or not. There's a lot of consciousness in that delusion we are great at storytelling inside of our own heads. We concoct stories to deliver us from fear, pain, worry, etc. On a passive level, though, 
There, there's, a, there's a litany of things that most people don't recognize are rate limiters in terms of them eliminating their limits, no matter what the, if it's weight loss or physical pain uh, or, or PTSD or building a successful business or relationship bliss uh, or financial security, those are the hot buttons. There's a lot of passive rate limiters that people don't even know. And the biggest one would be how much the unconscious mind plays a role in shaping our reality. So all of us have what's called a bias filter, which means every ounce of stimulus that comes into our eyes, into our ears, into our nose, every stimulus we pick up in this world isn't a measure of reality at all because the stimulus filters through our unconscious bias. We all have an unconscious bias, which has been built off of, again, our influences and experiences. So the reality we see about ourselves, our potential, our uh, potential or place in the world is not a measure of true reality. It's a measure of a filtered reality based on that bias we have in our unconscious. So again, people sometimes actively rate limit themselves, but by and large, Scotty, it's, it's passive. People don't even realize that they have limits that are, are being self-imposed by them. And that's the bulk of a lot of our work is helping people see exactly that. That's awesome. When you look at life, do you see, and either one of you can answer it or both, do you see life as a sculpture where you're chipping away from a rock to to reveal the inner self or are you shaping the clay, basically creating yourself in your opinion? Oh my gosh, that's such a great that is such a great question. So my, my instinct, not my instinct, actually, what I always say and what I was about to say was that I believe that it's a, it's a process of chipping away to reveal what's underneath, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I think once we've done that, we, we put layers on to rebuild and create something masterful, right? And it ties into the way that you know, we do our work, right? We deconstruct and then we reconstruct. And, and, and so I, I think that uh, it's, it's a combination of the two. I don't think that we can layer on before we've peeled away yeah, and really cool. understand, like, what is the core of this masterpiece that we're working with? And then once we understand that and we see that for everything that it is, then we can add on and yeah. build something that's beautiful and, and, and amazing. Just, just to give a metaphor, if it's okay, because, um, of course, I agree with Carrie. Uh, Do you have a metaphor from some of the work you do in the world, Scotty? Uh, And I'm sure you see this all the time. Um, You know, the human body is masterful at compensation. You know, it can have a dysfunction in the hip or or in the knee and compensate. Now, that compensation can range on a spectrum from mild pain to a forced limp. Uh, But functionality isn't always uh, damaged, uh, at least ostensibly. We don't notice that we're, we're compensating we, we seem pretty functional well the human psyche and the mentality and the emotionality we carry is no different part of the reason we tell stories to ourselves part of the reasons that we're delusional is because we are compensating having to look at something that hurts having to feel something that hurts and so and i'm sure you see this all the time the 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 negative consequence long term of somebody ignoring the physical dysfunction they have and trying to build strength 
or mobility or functionality on top of that dysfunction. Well, it's not, it's not, it's not just someone from building a house on a foundation that isn't mm-hmm. solid. Eventually, the dysfunction leads to a collapse. Mm-hmm. And that collapse physically can be pain or, or now we need to have therapy, uh, you know, from someone like yourself. And in our work, it's no different. Uh, we, we, can, we can try to build momentum and success and weight loss and financial uh, uh, stability and businesses on top uh, of, a, of a rather dysfunctional look at reality. But when we do, it only takes us so far. Mm-hmm. And eventually collapse is coming. And that collapse in the world of our work is called self-sabotage. Mm-hmm. We, and, and everyone listening, I hope, perked up because everybody self-sabotages. So that is the most common. We want, we claim to want this goal, but we keep sabotaging our progress towards it. Mm-hmm. There's nobody listening who can't relate to that. Mm-hmm. And that's what we see a lot of in, in, in our world. I love the response to the question because, well... It's sort of what I believe in as well as you just described. But I think when I look at some of the weaknesses and I wanted to sort of segue to that in the industry of quote unquote self-help or life coaching is that a lot of what people do is actually try to uh, recreate the person without actually fixing the foundation and Mm -hmm. chipping away first to, to reveal. And then as you said, Carrie, you know, make it something special beyond that. Um, what do you guys see as when I, when I ask that, you know, not, not to um, crap on anybody per se, but the industry is, it's a big industry and there's a lot of people doing it. You guys do it very well and you do it very well because I think at the end of the day, your internal um, being is about really helping people and, and what you've gone through in your life. What are some of the charlatans doing in your viewpoint that isn't, isn't right about that industry? Well, now it's my wheelhouse. Right. Uh, Let me go first. Um, So, you know, I think one of the greatest things that I've come to realize, you know, because this is a continual conversation that we have just, you know, as we're we're refining and, you know, always growing ourselves. One of the things I've very recently come to to the clarity on is that it seems like there's a there's a large number of people in the self-help industry that are all about the breakthrough. They're all about the breakthrough and the epiphany moment. And, you know, I, I've really taken some time to, to look into some of that, you know, from the, you know, some of the people we know and, and what's out there. And, and like the breakthrough moment is, it's powerful, right? And, and so a lot of self-help uh, programs and coaching out there is all about bringing people to the breakthrough moment. But what I've seen is that a breakthrough moment, it's not life altering unless it's followed with the how to execute change mm. and how to make this sustainable and how to chip away, right? So a breakthrough moment, you know, is essentially recognizing where we've had self-sabotaging patterns. And in our language, it's, it's, it's awareness, but it's not enough to be aware. If we, are, we can go our whole lifetime being aware of where we're self-sabotaging, but unless and until we go through the process of taking accountability and then therefore adapting that to create new patterns, we, stick, we sit in a perpetual state of awareness. So I know many, many, many people who are stuck in that place of they know what they're doing wrong. They have just no idea how to fix it. And it's incredibly frustrating and it's 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 a really challenging place for people to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have I have three, but I'm going to stick to one because I respect <laughs> time. Um, 
I think Gary's point is massive. Mm-hmm. I think that outside of the self-help industry and the coaching industry at large, what Gary just described is a lot of counseling and psychology as well, is that we are taking people to you know the brink of why they are the way they are, meaning we're going back in time to help them you know make amends to past uh, you know hurts or traumas, but we aren't moving them forward or beyond that. We're raising a lot of awareness to the issue, and then we're stopping the proceedings as opposed to taking them past, uh, you know, what to do next. But for me, Scotty, the biggest one uh, I see is uh, the motivational part of it all. Um, you know, when you get a couple of things, number one, it's a false positive, right? The entire environment has been created to give you a physiological and biological um, boost, so you know, everything from the music to the lights of the audience to what the audience is, is being asked to do together, as, you know, it's meant to give you a euphoric high. Essentially, it's releasing dopamine from your brain. It's, it's catalyzing dopamine, which is, which is a natural hormone that gives us a good high vibe. So it's a great hormone. We get it when we exercise. You know, dopamine's great. But when the intention is to establish a dopamine catalyzer, what ends up happening is you feel, you feel amazing. You feel euphoric. You walk away from those events thinking and feeling you can take on the world, that no matter what your goal, you can achieve it. There's no question about it. And then you get home and your behavioral patterns haven't changed. The drivers of your behavioral patterns haven't changed. Your habits haven't changed, and now the dopamine infusion is gone. So now you're in this very low state, wishing you could recreate that moment of euphoria, wishing you still felt as though you could accomplish anything. And instead, you're feeling horrible about yourself. Man, I'm a loser. I'll never achieve my goals. I was there two days ago. I felt like I could do anything. And what no one's telling you is that that's the way it's designed. Hmm. It's designed to give you a dopamine spike. So you feel like you can accomplish anything. Uh, and yet it, it does the exact opposite of what it's supposed to do. Yeah. I'm going to segue now and then come back to some of our thoughts because this is um, a part of my podcast that I do and I, um, I like doing it. It's I discovered a book which I actually sent um, – the information to you guys about a year ago, but I went back and read it yesterday. It's a book called The Day You Were Born, and it basically combines astrology with numerology. And I know you guys are pseudo in and out of that. We've heard conversations around uh, your viewpoint on it, and I have the same sort of viewpoint. But the thing was that I found my purpose in the book a long time ago, but I reread yours, your guys this morning, and it blew me away. Like, <laughs> blew me away again. So, carry your purposes to work your talents and skills around your spiritual goal, instructing others by imposing your views and ideas on the collective conscious. The crowd gives the leader strength. You have your unique way of handling things and getting others to go along. Your mission is to succeed and to use your success to make a difference in the world. The problem is you're too talented and get pulled in many directions. It's important for you to have a strong spiritual goal around which to focus your life. That's Crazy. Awesome. Like that's nuts. Crazy. And then Brian is to take that inner voice that says you are special 
and have a calling and unite with your earthly voice in order to manifest a dream. Many a man has found the acquisition of wealth only a change, not an end of miseries. Mm. You are born with a great deal of strength and a strong sense of purpose. Your job is to to activate your strength through learning and believe in yourself to discover your spiritual path that will bring you happiness and reward beyond earthly success. I like I read those again today and I got chills like my the hair like and my crazy, arms rose right? crazy like crazy so anyways there's something about that book and I'm just and, and it's funny every time I read it to you know different guests about I would say eight out of ten times it goes the person goes wow I got chills I love that I love it I love the fact that you know like that's already who we are as opposed to what I'm going to go create now. Right. Yeah, well, you know, exactly. You know, what's amazing about that is that whether you believe in it or don't believe in it, like the thing about the book, what it talks about, and I'm interested in your guys viewpoint around there. It also talks about when your character manifests from an ego perspective and when it manifests from a spiritual perspective and how that actually changes or defines the character. And part of the thing that I see in this process of chipping away and then rebuilding yourself is, is recognizing where your ego drives you and how you start to engage in your spirit. And I just, you know, you can both do it or or one can, but how has that journey or process of recognizing your own ego in life and then connecting with your spirituality manifested for you? Uh, Are you sure? Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's beyond words powerful. Um, And I love the way you phrased all that, Scotty. So Carrie and I have created language to help people understand all of these things. Cause you know, even the word ego can get really confusing for certain people, given its psychological label, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So essentially what we've done when we teach this is we have put everything into two categories. Okay. Um, There's bound nature and there's free nature. And, Bound nature is exactly the way it's it's expressed. You, you feel stuck. You feel handcuffed. You, you can tell there's resistance, okay? And free nature is the exact opposite. It is flowing and freedom and liberation. And what we want to do in life is we want to spend as much time in free nature as we possibly can. Now, let me siphon by saying, notice how I didn't say we want to spend all of our time in free nature. And I think that's also one of the major downfalls of the motivational self-help industry and the psychological industry, for that matter, is that some way, somehow, we've tried to convince people that being happy all the time is possible. Hmm. We are human beings who experience natural ranges of human emotion. And natural ranges of human emotion include sadness and loss and disappointment and anger and frustration. So it's not about being in free nature all the time. It's about being there most of the time. And in order to be there most of the time, you have to acknowledge what forces and what characteristics place you in either bound nature or free nature. I still get frustrated. I still get angry from time to time. But because I'm so evolved in my own mindset practice, what used to send me spiraling for two days Now it's like 30 seconds of annoyance. And I just kind of pull myself back into free nature. And that's the goal we want for everyone. So bound nature is jealousy. It's envy. It's anger. It's frustration. It's sadness. It's depression. It's all the things we would classically consider negative. Free nature is joy and bliss and happy and flow and creativity and all the things we would classically define as good. Okay. 
What we help people understand is that more often than not, in the absence of self-awareness, your actions, habits, and behaviors are being driven from a bound nature place, and you don't even know it. You're being driven from jealousy. You're being driven from comparison. You're being driven from feelings of inferiority. You're, feel, you're being driven from, play, from places of you don't feel good enough or worthy. We, our, all, our lives, are we're being driven to actions, habits, and behaviors from those places, and we don't even realize it. So we help people get in there and understand what their driver is, precisely what you said. And once you know your driver, you start to play with the program and understand it all, you, you really, you can separate. The driver is negative, but it's not me. It's not who I am. And once you have that, you know, distance, man, everything is so much different. You know, it, it, just to bring that First into, of all, did I, did I do a good job? That you did a great job. Thanks, Greg. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I didn't have accolades. <laughs> um, just to bring that in into two things. So let me bring that into what Brian said at the beginning with regards to me being a people pleaser and what you just read from your book, Scott about my birthday, right? Clearly, when you, you read what you just read, it, it, it shows me as, you know, someone who, who's a healer, who provides for others, except takes care of people, right? Well, as a people pleaser, that really was just a misguided negative driver of all of those natural characteristics of mine, right? I'm not, I naturally want to support people and help people and love people. But when I was a people pleaser, that was driven out of a place of insecurity, a place of fear that if I didn't do something, somebody was going to get upset with me, that there was going to be conflict, that it was going to arise. I still do for others all the time because now it's driving from a place of free nature, which you know, is, you know, it's, it's, it's stuff that I'm choosing to do that I want to do. It's not because I'm gain, looking for validation or support or any of those negative things that I was before. So it, it's always interesting because it's like the same, it's the same outcome. It might appear to be the same outcome, but, but the driver behind it is very different than it used to be. Awesome. I had a moment uh, this morning actually pondering you guys driving in. I had one of these moments where um, last night I spent all this time, a wonderful five hours watching Gretchen's, my daughter's uh, play at school and stuff. And only to have to five do hours. five hours, five hours, only to do you know, it was a five hour thing and right. only, only to um, have to come home and do all my prep for, for this and some other stuff that I did until 11 o'clock, go to bed, get up in the morning, made myself my blended smoothie, forgot it in the fridge, got in the car, sat in two hours of traffic came, and I was sitting in the car and I said to myself, you know, Back in the day, I would have been steaming at this point, and I'm just com comfortably driving through traffic because yeah. of you two. <laughs> well, no, because of you, because you've got to do the work. Exactly. Love. you got to do I the work. That. That's right. What, um, tell, tell people who are listening about, which is something that I've really adopted from you guys, but your pillars of performance, what are, what are the pillars? Describe those in sort of in a, in a Cole's Notes version for people. Mm -hmm. You want to kick off and all? Sure. Well, I mean, pillars of performance, I, I, I like that reference, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, therefore, we, we highly suggest everybody does them every single day, no matter where you are along your mindset journey, because as Carrie has already said, self-awareness is where it starts. Self-awareness is where the magic happens. Uh, self-awareness is where you see the lights get turned on. Mm -hmm. So you, you, you now you're really understanding where your life is. 
because your actions, habits, and behaviors are all being driven from likely these bound nature places. If you don't know that, you can't change it. And that's part of why goal setting doesn't work and behavioral adaptations don't work because we're always trying to fix the ostensible or the superficial, the behavior itself, but really where it's driven from is the, is the actual problem. So no matter where you are on your journey, no matter how spiritual you are, uh, how mindset savvy you are, we still suggest these four exercises are done daily because they continue allowing us to keep turning the lights on and do something about it, right? Beyond self-awareness, how do we change our synaptic connections in the brain? How do we change our perspectives? How do we change the unconscious, uh, unconscious language or narrative? So the, 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 how about I do a couple, you do a couple. Sure. Yeah. The first one we always say is uh, count your wins. It's probably the most powerful because A, it's the easiest, and B, it has the most immediate impact. Now, what most people don't realize, again, a lot of what we do is helping people realize things they don't realize now. But what most people don't realize is that they are complaining nonstop, either out loud or in their own heads. They are complaining about traffic. They're complaining about a five-hour play. They're complaining about forgetting a smoothie in the fridge. Uh, they're complaining about how much they weigh, how much they don't, they wish they looked more like that person. They're complaining about how old they're getting and how they can't do what they used to do. They're complaining about how much money they have versus what they want. People are complaining on a regular basis. And so now the brain's an amazing thing and so is the unconscious mind. Whatever you say on a regular basis, the unconscious accepts as your reality. That's the bias. It accepts it as your reality because you are stating it nonstop. And the more we repeat stuff emotionally or through words, the more un the unconscious says, okay, that's reality. So it gives you more of that. And that's part of the self-fulfilling prophecy of the world. So we want to reallocate our energy of counting things as opposed to counting our complaints. We want to count our wins. What did we do right today? What worked in our favor today? What did we proactively do that brought us closer to our goals today? Uh, what, what did we do that was a great reaction? And there's always wins to count. People just choose not to count them. Matter of fact, it actually speaks, just on a side note, it speaks to problems with society at large from a mindset perspective. Mm. There are wins in everybody's day, and most people don't even realize that because their brains and their unconscious narrative are so set to the negative they don't even recognize the positive when it exists. So we want to count wins every day. A, that helps us change the narrative in the unconscious, and B, it helps change the synaptic connections in the brain so that our perspective on life changes. If you count your wins for 10 minutes every day, every single day you do it for 10 minutes for 21 days, your life is going to change more than you realize right now. So that's that's our first of the four pillars, but that that might be our most powerful. Yeah, absolutely. The second one for me, which is the second one that's the most powerful, is learn your language. Yes. And essentially, what you do is you you know you sit down for you know five minutes to half an hour. It really depends on where you want to start. And you just you're looking for negative language that is that is floating through your mind now. We always decipher this down to four different ways to look for negative language because it really does present itself. And, and it's that bound nature voice that Brian was talking about before that presents itself in your world. So it presents itself in thoughts, feelings, physical symptoms, and behaviors. So we, we ask everybody to stop for a few minutes and be reflective in their day. 
Um, we encourage it to be done in the morning because in the morning you, you know, you can set yourself on a, on a different path if you know your language, but what negative thoughts are going on in your head? What are you feeling? That's not feeling so good in your body and in your emotions, because it's all non-serving. And if we have negative language that is, that is going on, it's what's precipitating our actions. So we, we ask people to take the time to, to become aware of that. That's the awareness process. That's the, the deconstruction of going down and understanding, like, this is what's going on in my unconscious. This is what's driving my actions. This is where my self-sabotage is coming from. So we essentially are unearthing that and bringing it to the surface so that people can't suppress it, can't put a mask on over it, and can't lie to themselves about it. Mm-hmm. Do you want to do a measure outcome or a direction? I don't care. They're both great for sure? me. I love them both. I was going to take the one that you want. <laughs> I, I love all of them. Well, then I will do the third one as imagine your outcome, sure. which is a fun one. It really is. So let me start by saying this, Scotty. Um, when we talk to people and we teach them how to imagine their outcome, uh, they often say, man, that's challenging to, to imagine something for like three or four minutes or even 30 seconds to imagine something, man, my brain, you know, it's hard for me to do that. And we help them uh, call complete crap on themselves in that moment. And here's why. If you've ever been afraid in your life, if you've ever been anxious in your life, if you've ever been worried about something in your life, which by the way, is everybody in the world, you have been using your imagination to create an outcome that you didn't like that wasn't a particularly good outcome, but it hadn't happened yet. So we're anxious about stuff that hasn't happened yet. That's us being imaginative in a negative way. Mm. See, so people say, oh, it's really hard to imagine. No, you do it all the time. You do it every day. So what we want you to do is we want you to imagine the outcome you want as opposed to the one you don't. We want you to imagine the outcome that is fulfilling and service-oriented for you as opposed to the one that's scary or scarcity. You use your imagine every, uh, imagination every day. We just want you to use it for the power of good mm. as opposed to the power of bad. And that's it. So what we recommend in, in the beginning is 30 seconds, couple times a day, imagine the outcome you want for your weight loss journey, for your, the physical pain you're in. Imagine yourself not in pain for the money you wish you had, for the business you want to build, for the cohesive, happy relationship you long for. Imagine that, 20, 30 seconds, a couple times a day. And yes, you can extend that over time, and we'd like you to, it's a process. But that's where it starts. It's so simple. Now, why do you do it? We've already explained. Your unconscious has a bias filter attached to it. And that bias is a product of the imagination you're giving it now. That's it. So we want to change the bias or the narrative in the unconscious. And to do that, the unconscious is the most powerful thing in the world. It drives our actions, habits, and behaviors. But for all that intelligence, it's stupid, meaning it doesn't know real from imagined. If you give it things to be worried about, it'll just accept that as why I should be worried about that. But if you give it good things to think about, positive things, affirmative things, happy things, it won't fight you. It'll say, okay, well, there that's the reality. The more repetition we imagine the things we want, the more our unconscious accepts it as true. It's a brilliant exercise. Absolutely. 
And I'm going to do the fourth, which is review your direction. But before I do, I want to say this. Um, at the very beginning of this, Brian was talking about our unconscious drivers and not knowing our unconscious language. And, and it's, I, I really want to make the point that these four pillars are built around getting to know that. Like, it really is right. the most simple process to start to understand your unconscious mind, where you're self-sabotaging, and then to, to, to change it. Like, we've had people who have absolutely changed their lives. Like, I'm talking people who've gone from suicidal yes. and on 32 antidepressant pills a day to not suicidal and not on medication simply by doing these four pillars every single day. So I just needed to emphasize that off the top that like Fact. these aren't just four random exercises we decided to use. They're so powerful. So mm -hmm. the last one is review your direction. And it's really simple, right? You know, we are all really great at setting the goal. Like we want to lose 20 pounds, but then we set the goal of lose 20 pounds. And then we, we throw that goal like out into the distance. We don't think about it anymore. And then we get frustrated when we're not achieving it, et cetera, et cetera. Review your direction really is taking the time every single day to stop and to reflect on the goal that you're working towards. Where are you going? Is where you're going in alignment with what you still want? How does it feel? You know, what are your, you know, what, how much has changed from the time that you started it? What's it going to feel like when you accomplish it? What amazing things happened that day in that particular journey? So, you know, if you're, you know, if you're trying to lose weight and, and that day you managed to put on a pair of pants that fit differently than the last time you put on and you looked in the mirror and you actually loved what you saw, like that's reviewing your direction. And it's so important because it keeps it top of our mind every single day. You know, one of the things that we hear so many people say is that review are, reviewing my direction almost feels redundant. And we're like, yes, and it should feel redundant because you have to bring the familiarity of your goals to the top of your mind every day in order to stay consistent with it. Can I just add one thing? Because you, you, you finished by uh, talking about consistency. Yeah. And I love that. Our mantra is simplicity plus consistency. Do simple things every day and you'll always achieve what it is you want. Be it happiness, business, whatever. Okay. But just in that realm, the whole consistency factor, nobody would not understand this truth. If I want to get fit, I need to exercise. And as long as I exercise, I get fit. And then my, my fitness increases the more consistently I exercise. But the second I stop exercising, mm. I'm no, my fitness starts to drop and I gain weight back. Nobody gets confused about that. But when it comes, it's, it's the most amazing thing. The human brain is, is complex and, and yet so simple. The unconscious mind is complex and yet so simple. Whatever stimulus we give it, it accepts and it does something with it. So if we give it worry and fear and apprehension and anger, it takes that on and it drives us from that. If we give it happiness and fulfillment and goal actualization and internal peace, it takes that and it drives us from that. So what we are, one of the main missions we have in this world is to help people understand how easy the metaphor is. You know that if you stop exercising, you'll start getting weight, uh, start getting weight. You start getting less strong you'll start losing fitness. Mm. Our four pillars are simple. Do them every day. If you do them every day, your mindset will improve. Your spiritual connection will improve. As soon as you stop doing them every day, you lose fitness. Mm. I mean, there's no difference. Yeah. And I think that one of the greatest problems in our world, Scotty, and is pursuant to three questions ago, we as an industry have convinced people 
that mental and emotional health is either a pill, 25 years of therapy, or going to a motivational event to get a boost. That's it. We have not helped people realize how simple mental and emotional health is if you consistently put the right stimulus into the brain. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. One of the things I actually talk with, uh, I'm, I'm blessed to be able to speak to a lot of, you know, like yourselves, high achieving people who are doing really special things. And some of the athletes that I've talked to, I often talk to them about the concept that you guys taught me about object reference and self-reference. And I found that to be a very powerful piece, this concept of really being connected to process versus just the goals. And I think sociologically today, you know, people are being sold this bill of goods that they've got a They've got to achieve the goals all the time, but they don't have any connection to the process of what they're going through. And it's it's been interesting listening to some of the athletes that I've had. I had Scott Moyer and Tessa Virtue who won the gold medal at the last Olympic Games and two phenomenal people. And both of them in separate interviews talked about how connected to the process they were, not so much about winning that gold medal. That was something they wanted as an outcome, but they both connected deeply to the process of what they were going through. And I think when you do that, that's the thing that serves you, not the actual endpoint that you get to. Well, I mean, that's beautiful. And let me say this, the, the, the spiritual component of that, and I'm a spiritual, like, I mean, my doctorate's in spirituality. So I, I live and breathe and intellectualize and experience this stuff. So I love talking about it from that angle. The spirituality of that is, you know, detach from outcomes. That's what the Buddha told us. That is what Lao Tzu told us. That's what Confucius told us. I mean, Eastern philosophy is based off of a similar tenet. It doesn't really matter where we're drawing from. Detach from outcomes, meaning be a lot more interested in, in, in enjoying the journey and the process of something, knowing that if you do that, the outcome will always take care of itself. Don't strive to lose 50 pounds. Strive to eat good quality food and exercise today. And then again tomorrow, and then again the next day. The outcome takes care of itself. Now, if I was to put that in contemporary ways of, of thinking about it, um, like you, Scotty, I worked in sport performance as, as, as a physical, mental, emotional performance coach for many, many years. And I can tell you conclusively, athletes I worked with who were very committed to the day-by-day process and enjoying that part of it all, they always won. They always did well at competition time or, or in game day. The athletes who set their markers to win at the, the outcome of a season, they, ne- they never met expectations properly. And, and a classic example right now that I think we're all witnessing if you're a hockey fan, and I don't know if he's going to win or not, but Alex Ovechkin right now is playing the game the way he should play the game. He's having fun. You can tell he's in a shift-by-shift creative exploration on the ice, whereas in years past, the stick was held tight. He was trying to win a Stanley Cup, and now it's almost like he's not trying to. Mm. And because he's not trying to, he's excelling in ways he hasn't before. Awesome example. You laughing at you. I was going to say, who's Alex Ovechkin? But I know who he is. I just, it was too funny with two like sports guys here. <laughs> but I know who he was. He plays volleyball for uh, Team Brazil. No, he's a hockey player. Carrie, if you met the, the little Carrie when she was 17, 16, what would you say to her now? <laughs> <laughs> 
what I said in my head, I can't say out loud because it's, it's a public podcast. Now I want to know. You got to write that down. No, 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 no. Um, what would I say? I like looking at you in the video. You're a really good looking woman. Oh, thank you. You're very sweet. I can't look at the video while I'm doing this kind of interview. Um, what would I say if I was to meet my 17-year-old self? Um, you know, buckle up and get ready for the ride, Buttercup. <laughs> That's what I'm you know, you know, because you know what? I was thinking about it, and I know that everybody's common answer to that question is, oh, I would tell them not to do this or not to do that yeah. or to do this differently or don't marry that person or don't lose yourself along the way and don't people please. But you know, I would say buckle up buttercup because every part of my journey has been a part of who I am sitting here today right now. And had I not traveled through everything that I traveled through, that was a challenge or was not the best decision or was all the people years of people pleasing, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to deliver to the world the, the system and the solutions that we have for so many people who are in pain every day and sad and depressed and their worlds are falling apart. So I would just say, get ready for the ride. Nice. That's what I would say. Brian, what would you say to your 17 year old self? I was so hoping you were going to ask me that question. Now <laughs> you knew I was going to ask you cause I asked Carrie. So I, I, have to you too. I like my answer. So first of all, just frame of reference around the age of 17, I got diagnosed with a chronic stress disorder. So it's, it, my answer is particularly apropos because at that time in my life, I was a stress cadet. Everything was a problem. I was worried about all of it. Um, and yet, even if that wasn't the case, this was my answer. So it's very simple. Stop taking it all so seriously. Mm. And, and that, I'm telling you, Scotty, that is the, the line that, yes, I would like to tell my 17-year-old self. But at the same time, I think every adult on the planet from 19 to 99 needs to hear that. Mm-hmm. Stop to, like, like Nobody gets out of life alive. Mm. I, you got to sit and reflect on that for a second. So what do, you, what do you really think that this, whatever it is, is the greatest thing or problem that's ever happened? Or are we just extract, are we just like designing things to be stressed about and be angry about and to be afraid of and to be anxious about? The more we can help adults or, or equip adults with the, the real knowledge of that, stop taking it all so seriously, man, because none of it's serious. And you're not getting out of this game alive. You're not. None of us are. So, you know, I often think about like the Freemasons and, and some like the secret societies because it's noted that a lot of what the way they indoctrinate new members is to do mortality-based scary exercises that get them thinking. Every day is a gift. Every day above ground is a gift because you, we are all going to die. And, and the sooner we wrap our heads around that, the quicker we're going to stop taking idiosyncratic things on a Tuesday seriously. Mm-hmm. So that's what I would tell my 17-year-old self. Nicely done. Yeah, I answered that question the other day. At a, I was on a podcast. Somebody asked me, and I said, well, I would say – don't be in such a rush to be responsible. That's a good one too. Um, we're getting close to the end of this thing, and I want to ask you a couple of uh, questions to finish off. One is, what used to scare you that doesn't scare you anymore? Good Lord. I got that one locked. You go ahead. Uncertainty. Mm. Uncertainty used to terrify me. Mm. I, I needed to know how it was going to end. 
And if I didn't know how it was going to end, I didn't do it. Or I, or, or I thought about it as an overthinker for eight months before I even took a little dip at it. Uh, so overthinking, overthinking the outcome used to terrify me. Uncertainty would terrify me. Now I love not knowing how it's going to end. That because you never know. You never know how it's going to end. Stop pretending you do. So just jump off and figure it out because you will. I had to think for a second there. Um, hurting people. Um, that was the reason. That was the core of my people pleasing. I was. I like af- that answer for you. I was afraid of hurting people. I was afraid that, and I, not in a malicious way, but like, well, if I chose chicken over fish, and Brian really wanted fish, that it was somehow going to hurt him. And every single decision that I made was revolved around: Am I going to hurt somebody or not? And so I think I learned that. Um, number one, I'm a good human being, <laughs> which I always knew, but I'm a good human being and my intentions are always pure. And that in the end, a lot of the times, if someone does get hurt by something and there are pure intentions behind it, it's probably a greater reflection of themselves and their own growth than it is my own actions. And that even if I do hurt someone that I'm not going to die from it <laughs> as an experience. <laughs> That's when you uh, Carrie, when you look at Brian, what um, what do you admire when you look at him? Oh my God, Scotty, you're gonna make me cry. Really? Um, I have so many uh, admiring, answer, worthy qualities. How can you cry over that? The answer, the answer is everything. But um, the more specific answer, um, his mind, his mind. You know, I, I often um, say to him that, you know, he's got that whole, he has a beautiful mind in the exact context, by the way, in which the film was created. Um, his mind is incredibly intricate and incredibly elaborate. Um, it thinks in a way that I've never known anybody else to think in my entire life. And, um, you know, over the years of us being together, you know, I've learned so much about how he thinks and the process of how he thinks. And, you know, I've, I've, I've navigated to understand him when he's sharing with me. And I always think about how, how many years, bef- not necessarily that he didn't have someone like me before, but before me, how many people must have misunderstood him <laughs> as he was being elaborate all in of, his mind. All of them. Um, but his mind is the reason we do what we do. His mind is, I would just be someone who wanted to fix the world if it wasn't for his mind being able to find the gap. Um, and the the pain point that so many people are struggling with. So his mind is my answer. And Brian, what's your answer to that question about uh, caravans? I admire you, Bubby. Yeah, I admire you. <laughs> so, um, you know, first of all, um, I'll, I'll, well, actually, first of all, nothing. Let me just say this. Uh, Carrie, Carrie saved me completely. Carrie saved me for myself. Uh, I was a very high-strung uh, overthinker. And I, I reckon a lot of that is because of what Carrie just indicated, that I, I don't know if I have a beautiful mind. I would never phrase it that way, but I have, an, I have a complex mind. Um, I, I, for example, have had a lot of success in business in my life in varying industries because I do have an uncanny ability to see where the hole is and see what, what the industry is missing insofar as telling people what they need to know and then filling that hole. I just, I've always had that skill. So my mind is complex, but that 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 complexity doesn't come or hadn't come without challenges in the past. I, I would overthink myself into loneliness. Uh, I would overthink myself into addictions. I would overthink myself into um, sadness. 
And, uh, you know, I, I admire Carrie's whimsical freedom in life. And uh, that's what saved me. I, I'm, I'm not an overthinker anymore, but that's because Carrie's influence uh, at, at first nurturing me where nobody understood me. And I was angry and sad about that. She didn't have to say anything. She made me feel better by touching me and being with me. And then I mirror her whimsical way. Uh, and it's great. <laughs> it's like a nat- it's like a natural drug. <laughs> you just don't take anything seriously. So that's what I admire most about Carrie. Yeah. Well, I want you guys as a, to wrap up here. I want you guys to know that what I admire in both of you is that you have taken the opportunity that's been given you um, to really seize uh, who you are and to express it uh, in a way that's doing wonders for lots of different human beings in the world at large. And I know you're on a serious mission to do that. And I just want to tell you that I fell in love with both you guys years ago that you mean a lot to me and thanks for coming on my show oh thank I love you that, we love you it's an honor we love you to death well have a nice day everybody and we'll see you again july 7th i think it is yeah bye bye